0: what she said on 1059 the region I'm your host Candace Sampson Well we are just two short weeks away from the most unusual back to school ever and moms everywhere are still figuring out what they're going to do with their kids and sadly their jobs It's an impossible situation so that's what I'm asking today on the what she said talk Facebook page After today's show pop on over and share what you chose or didn't choose yet, and how you think this fall is going to shape up in Ontario. But first, take the next hour to relax and listen to today's great women, starting with Lisa Sellen Davis, the author of Tomboy, The Surprising History and Future of Girls Who Dare to Be Different. Lisa's research led her to some surprising findings about gender, and some interesting theories including what social psychologists call the PFD stage for girls, also known as the Pink frilly dress stage. Then, Anne Brody joins me with this week's new releases and an interview with Anuka Okuma from Netflix's The Sleepover, as well as her thoughts on the emotional and beautiful Summerland, and Amazon Prime's new teen romantic series Chemical Hearts that follows young love through all the stages of the developing brain during adolescence. Sometime, in the not too distant future, you might enter the grocery store and stop to grab a dozen chickenless eggs, some fresh farmed algae, a 3D printed meal for dinner guests, and a nice selection of fresh insects to get you through the week. The future of food is definitely interesting. And Lauren Keegan, CEO of Entomo Farms, which specializes in the farming of crickets, think you might actually love the taste and the protein benefits. If there's a commonality between all women right now, it's stress. We are all feeling it at some level, and never has it been more important to manage it. April Monroe, who is half of the duo that makes up this kind of life, Joins me to share some of her best tips for taking care of yourself. Canadian Small Business Women, the CSBW, is an organization that provides a place for aspiring Canadian businesswomen to find the necessary resources to take their business from the planning stage to a reality. Joining me today to discuss how they are helping women stay in business and start new businesses during these difficult times is Duania Peel. Finally, There is a lot that has been canceled during this pandemic, but not kindness, not in Canada. Canadians have been planking the curve and spreading a contagion of kindness helping each other. Eager to document this time in history and to focus on the positive, Heather Down started collecting stories from across Canada and compiled them all in her book, Not Cancelled. She joins me to share some of her favorite stories. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get rolling with today's show on 105.9 The Region. Lisa Sellen Davis is the author of a novel, Belly. She has written articles for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, and many other publications. Today, we're discussing her new book, Tomboy, the surprising history and future of girls who dare to be different. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much, Candace. I loved reading this book. It was just, um, it really made me think about that word, which I had not thought about in a long time. So is there
1: a definition of tomboy? So the short version of the definition for tomboy is a girl who acts like a boy, but what does acting like a boy mean? I ended up having to ask myself that and look back in history to answer that question. And I found some really interesting examples of what acting like a boy meant in different times. So there were times when climbing a tree or whistling were really things that only boys did. And then, you know, there were times like in the 1970s when girls were really encouraged to act like boys or to dress like boys. So there was less of an idea of what a boy is like and more of a let's try to make all girls act like boys. So it may be a girl who looks like or acts like a boy, but we have to ask ourselves what what that means and where those ideas come from. Right. So, what 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 was a tomboy to us when we were growing
0: up? What is our perspective of that? And you mentioned in the book, you mentioned sort of this golden era of to, the tomboys, and that was, you know, uh, Joe from the Facts of Life and Kristen McNichol, and that is the era that I most identify with uh, when I think of tomboys. And and so, somebody else now though might look at that and think that it means um, sort of. How they lean um, you know in their in their sexuality are they leaning towards being a boy or are they trans?
1: Is that what you're finding? Well, what I'm finding is that the tomboy was a very common character in the seventies and eighties and on TV and on the playground. I think most of us knew kids who were tomboys or adult even if it was adults who called them that we knew girls who um, looked like boys, and most girls had short hair. I had short hair. I had a bowl haircut just like my brother. And we had, you know, striped t shirts and sh- um, sports shorts with white piping, and we were all dressed the same. And I don't think that there were a lot of assumptions that being a childhood tomboy meant much about who you were going to be later. I think the assumptions would happen if if a tomboy, a childhood tomboy, didn't give that up at puberty. So throughout, um, from the, the 19th and 20th century, even though many times girls were encouraged to be tomboys, they were also always encouraged to give it up at puberty and become a proper heterosexual cisgender woman. And if they didn't, all kinds of trouble ensued. And in terms of who they actually grow up to be, what I found from interviewing many, many different people of different walks of life, different races, different economic classes, um, different ages, was that they grow up to be all kinds of people. Um, there, do, there is some link between childhood gender nonconformity and identifying as a, a having a lesbian sexual orientation later. And there's maybe some connection between it and being trans. And there are also the great majority of tomboys who are straight and cisgender, mostly because you know those are larger cultural social groups. But what I found was that there wasn't any single straight line between being a tomboy as a kid and who you grew up to be other than I found a real correlation between being a childhood tomboy and having a lot of self-confidence as a grown-up. That's the one thing that that I pulled out of all of these interviews.
0: You were surprised. Uh, so, you know, obviously, as you're, you're researching this book, you're, you're finding all these things about how we think about uh, gender and so on. And you were surprised by, by what you call the PFD, uh, which I had never heard of that term before. But as I was reading it, I definitely identified with this, the phase of that, and then the pushback against it. So what is PFD?
1: Yeah. There there are some social psychologists who were, at first they were studying girls going through this intense princess phase and they called it the PFD phase, which stands for pink frilly dress. And they noticed that 74% of girls um, go through this stage from about ages three to six where they're very, very insistent on wearing pink frilly dresses all the time. And that kind of princess phase perfecting it. And then they noticed that around sometime between six and eight, they would reverse course. And a lot of them would start saying that they don't like dresses and they hate pink and they would reject all of this stuff that they worked so hard to perfect. But um, boys didn't go through that phase and they didn't turn six and say, "I'm now I can wear pink dresses. So they looked at what happened. And what they found was that the, the big change is that kind of, between three and six, when girls are working on this princess phase, they don't really know the difference between their, their sex category as female and stereotypes. So they're really trying to show the world that they know how to be a girl and it's all about what you wear. And in fact, most kids think that wearing a dress makes you a girl. So if, if you wear, a, anyone who wears a dress will be a girl. They don't understand that it's about your body. So when they get to be about six, they start to understand what's called gender constancy, which is that your category, your membership in that category doesn't change based on what you wear. And at first they thought it was just girls being flexible and saying, oh, okay, well, I can be a girl and wear pants. But since boys didn't go through it, they had to go back and look at the research and and realized that kids had also learned about the hierarchy of boy and girl and masculine and feminine. And had realized that all that stuff that they'd been so quick to embrace between ages three and six, all the pink sparkles, rainbows, all the super feminine stuff, that everybody looked down at it called it girly and looked down on it. So they needed to distance themselves from it to push themselves higher up the ladder. And that indeed boys were doing that too. So they were actually kind of Um, reifying their, I reject all girl things stance and um, claiming that boy space um, even more protectively than they had when they were younger. So this book is really about the history and future of girls, but I want to say you really just break open sort of gender
0: in, you know, in the history of it and how we embrace it and the pushback against, you know, tomboys and now, uh, you know, uh, you know, the girl power and so on. So I think everybody should read this book, even, you know, moms of boys, obviously. Um, so at the end of this, though, what, is, what, is, what do you hope people take away after reading this book?
1: You know, over and over while I was researching this book, people would <laughs> start conversations with me and they would say, I didn't believe in, you know, any of this biological stuff. And then I had kids And my daughter just loved this pink princessy stuff. And my son just loved all the blue, you know, the balls and the, and you know, now I, now I know that it's biological and they wouldn't be asking me to tell them about my research. They would just be, they would, they would really enjoy telling me, um, that it's all biological. And I think that is the dominant paradigm right now. And I think think that people are not aware of how hypergendered childhood has become how recent the hypergendering of childhood is how its roots are really in homophobia and how bad it is how psychologically limiting it is for children to have all of their toys all of their personality traits all of the colors all of the stuff of childhood divided that way so i really want them to understand how we got to this moment and then we can together change this moment. Okay, wonderful. Well, I hope people go out and get this. It was
0: just released. And uh, where do you suggest people find your book?
1: I would love people to go to their local bookstore and request um, that they stock it there. That would be great. That's wonderful.
0: And, and, and right now in this time of where so many businesses are struggling, I think that's an excellent suggestion. So I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much for
1: joining me today, Lisa. Thank you, Candace. I really appreciate it.
2: Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
1: I feel so sorry. I feel so
3: sad.
0: It's time for Entertainment with Anne Brody, and this week she is joining us with an exclusive interview with Anuka Okuma from the Netflix's The Sleepover.
4: Yes, it's a young adult series. Now, she's done a million and one primetime drama series in the States. She's Canadian. She does her own stunts. I just love her to pieces.
0: Okay, well, let's listen to that right away then, and we'll come back and talk about more entertainment. Did you
4: enjoy doing a film aimed at, at a younger audience?
5: yes I, I did love doing a film for a younger audience it's it's very different than what I'm used to and and also doing a comedy because I do a lot of uh, of drama so being able to do something that's a little lighter and also um, with these kids but I mean I, these kids were not your average kids they're very sophisticated with their senses of humor and their um, this it's a movie that's a, a family movie because it's not it's not just for kids I, I think the tone of it, and also the themes behind it, adults can get right into it. You know, like the idea of who exactly you know who
4: who who are you living with, really? <laughs> <laughs> right, that's right. I think the tagline is: Do you do you think you know who your parents are? I mean, what- exactly. And for for Ken Marino's character, do you think you know who your spouse is? <laughs> yeah, heavens. Uh, now I'm just wondering. Um, You know, I I interviewed you years and years ago for Sue Thomas, just on the rise. And I'm just so excited for you that that you've accomplished so much. Um, Wow. Uh, You must, you, you say you're blessed and I'm glad to see that you've, that you've kept through with your vision and done it and, and yay, Canada. Yes! Yay,
5: Canada! I I love that you um, you remember Sue Thomas. I I was just thinking about that the other day as I was talking to my friend Tara, and and just how it's like you you create these little families along the way, and each show I, I leave with at least one special person, sometimes many that are that are still in my li- life, and and I just kind of feel so lucky that I found something that I wanted to do at such an early age, and that it's brought me so much, you know?
4: Yes. Yeah. Isn't that great? Now, do you think you'd ever like to do some stage work given all your experience?
5: Yeah. I mean, I trained in the theater. Um, I have a bachelor of fine arts from uh, Simon Fraser University. Um, And I started on the stage in, in elementary school and high school. And I joined a Vancouver youth theater when I was Um, still in high school. So it's, the stage was my first love, but I always wanted to get up on the screen. Um, But I will never say never. Although mind you, the last time I did a play, I had such stage fright and it was, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was something (laughs) I, I used to do all the time, but because I'd spent so many years knowing that somebody could call cut or knowing I could start my line again. Suddenly when there was a room full of people and I had like pages and pages of text in my head, it was a different (laughs) ballgame.
4: Well, it just shows you still got the, the, having nerves still, I think, shows that you care. Yes. Yes. If I didn't, then I might be worried. (laughs) Yes. How lovely to see you again. And congratulations on your success, Anuka. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. Thank you. So what else
0: do you have for us then? Because that sounds really good, Anne, but what else is coming up in entertainment this week that we cannot miss?
4: Well, there's Stage Mother, which is, you'll never believe it, but Halifax sits in for San Francisco. And it's by Tom Fitzgerald, who's a well-known Canadian director, auteur. Um, but it's based on, on another script, so that's interesting. Jackie Weaver, that incredible Australian actress, who, she's up on our site plays a uh, Southern Baptist conservative choir mistress. Her son, who lives in San Francisco, ran a uh, drag bar. And of course, as you can guess, her family, they were estranged because of his lifestyle. He dies, unfortunately. She goes up to the funeral to look after his estate. And she winds up falling in love with everyone in the drag bar. And she becomes like a den mother. It's lovely. Lou, Lou plays... A girl who's who is friends with everybody there and she's having problems. She's just everyone's mother, not just the the guys on the stage. It is so sweet. Um yeah, and she finds she finds a way to make this her new life. Wonderful. And you
0: know, I have to say, you sent over the trailer for Summerland, and I was just captivated with that story. It looks so good.
4: It is great. Now Gemma Arterton plays this. Um, woman during world war ii and it's in a little village near the uh, white cliffs of dover you'd never know the war was on being in this little village but she's the town witch you know isolated sour tongue all of that and she is asked to take in a, a little boy an evacuee from london um she does so much against her will. And over time, they've developed a great bond. She, they get so close. She even tells him about her lesbian relationship in, in London when she was growing up a flaming youth twenties thing. And, uh, his, there's just the most wonderful twist at the end, um, that you don't see coming. And it co-stars Gugu Mabatha who is just one of the great actresses. Um, and her study, her field of study, which makes them think she's a witch, is folklore. And the little boy is so interested in folklore. And they see, um, they, they examine why natural phenomena are part of of uh, myths. So there's a lot going on in it. And it's just the most charming environment. And Jem Arterden is just awesome. So I recommend it. Okay, we have about 30 seconds left, and people can go, obviously, to the site and, and read all
0: of your oh. views and takes on it. But I quickly just want to touch on chemical hearts, because as the mother of teens,
4: I felt oh the angst God. in this one in a big way. <laughs> yeah, well, what it is, it's a teen romance. Based on the chemical reactions, it describes what the chemical reactions are. So when you're going steady, you're having a steady stream of uh, dopamine coming into your brain, you feel good it ends for whatever reason and those those chemicals are removed and replaced by stress hormones and that's why it feels so physically and mentally painful for kids and they they teach as it goes along it's it's rather unusual quite cool so yeah hearts it's fun watch it amazing and
0: that's on amazon right yes wonderful thanks so much for joining me today Anne. we'll see you next week we'll see you next week bye-bye
5: Head towels, check my nails, baby, how you feeling? towels, check my nails, baby, how
0: you feeling? Sometime in the not too distant future, you might enter the grocery store and stop to pick out some chickenless eggs, farmed algae, a nice 3D printed dish for dinner guests, and a nice selection of fresh insects to get you through the week. My next guest, Lauren Keegan, is the CEO of Entomo Farms, which specializes in the farming of crickets. Lauren believes strongly that businesses can and should be a force of good and that we have a duty to create a better, more sustainable future for the next generations. She lives with her wife and two young girls in Toronto and enjoys CrossFit, baking, cooking, and reading in her spare time. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you for
6: having me. I'm excited
0: to be here. So your bio says cooking and baking. So I have to ask,
6: are crickets going into that? Yes, ma'am. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Crickets are an excellent addition to anything um, that you would bake. They mix really well into an all-purpose flour blend. Um, You don't want to use more than 20% because then you lose the benefits of of the other chemistry behind it. But um, they add a great little nutritional punch to a banana bread, to muffins, to cake, great in pancakes and waffles, pretty much anything you can dream of, you can probably throw them in there in the powdered form. Okay. So non powdered form, how are people eating crickets? That's a great question. So by and large, a lot of folks are eating whole roasted crickets and they're tossing them on salads. They're eating them as a snack in in replacement of nuts or chips. Um, We also have things like honey mustard, we have barbecue, we just piloted a ranch flavor and it sold out right away. So surprisingly, a shocking number of people are willing to snack on crickets by the handful.
0: So these come in like a bag, so like a bag of potato
6: chips, is that right? Correct, yes, yep. And you get um, far fewer calories and a boatload more protein, B12, prebiotic fiber, iron, calcium. Little bit of healthy fat um, and none of the guilt of eating a bag of Doritos.
0: Okay. So, you know, uh, around the world, 2 billion people eat insects every day. Canadians probably aren't as accustomed to that, but it is coming. How are you finding um, people are, are changing their habits? Are you seeing
6: a growth in this market for Canadians? Yes, we are. Um, We've definitely seen an uptick um, during COVID because people are, are taking a much more critical view to what they're, basically all of their practices, what they're doing from a, from a food standpoint, from a sustainability standpoint. But cricket, edible crickets and cricket powder have been around now for a couple of years, and it's starting to become something that North Americans are growing more accustomed to. They're feeding them to their pets. Um they're finding them in chips and puffs and cookies that you can buy on shelves. Um so we are slowly, slowly beating beating down the objections that bugs are nuisances and they're not to be eaten um because it's so healthy and so 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 sustainable. And um especially younger generations are are really starting to look for that in the foods they eat. You and I recorded a
0: longer podcast and I, I encourage people to go listen to that because it's fascinating. But I'd like to touch briefly on The farming of crickets and how it is so much better for the
6: environment than traditional farming. Yeah. So the thing about farming crickets is, pound for pound, from a protein standpoint, you need to use far, far, far less land, far less water, um, and far less feed for a more nutritionally complete output. So our farms are based in um, southeastern Ontario. We're about thirty minutes east of Peterborough, in a in a little town called Norwood. Um, We grow our crickets in repurposed chicken barns. So they're two levels. Um, They're very long and wide, and the crickets are able to have what we jokingly call a free-range life. We make sure they don't go too far because we think they would just leave. Um, They have 24-7 access to food and water, and they can move around, and they can live their little cricket lives um, and live a complete life cycle, and then they get to breed and lay eggs for the next uh, generation of crickets and then they get turned into food. And the life cycle of a cricket is how long? Six weeks start to finish six weeks from egg to full adult maturity. So, so um, it's, it's fairly short and it's very advantageous from a producer standpoint because it doesn't take a year to two years um, to have this food source come to maturity.
0: So are you, uh, I have to ask because I'm sure people are wondering, is a cricket farm
6: really loud? surprisingly not so you know when they're young they're not very loud at all much uh much like uh, other animals they get the depth of their voice as they grow but even at full maturity it's it's much more of um an ambient hum as opposed to what you could imagine a cricket farm would sound like so no need to wear earplugs or anything noise canceling when you're walking through
0: okay excellent so if people want to add cricket uh powder or perhaps you
6: know uh buy a cricket snack uh, and learn more about it. Where can they go? So they can start by visiting our website, which is www.entomofarms.com, where we try to provide a ton of education and a ton of resources for anybody who's interested. But we also have a shop where they can purchase um, cricket flour or whole roasted crickets. Um, They can purchase from one of our partner brands like Human Improvement, Landish Foods, Knack. Um, They can purchase treats for their dogs um, from brands like Jiminy's and Wilder and Harrier and Chippin, but you can also get cricket flour on shelf at Loblaws. So if you go into the natural food section, um, you'll find President's Choice um, Cricket Flour, and that's probably like your quickest and easiest point of entry. From there, add it to your smoothie and call it a day.
0: Excellent. And do you have social channels where you provide
6: inspiration for meals and uh, use of crickets? Yes, we do. So our website has a bunch of recipes which we try to then post on Instagram under Entomo Farms as well as Facebook under Entomo Farms.
0: Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lauren. Thank you for having me.
7: Baby, how you feeling? feeling
2: More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
0: My next segment is brought to you by New Roots Herbal, and I'm joined by April Monroe, who is half of the duo that makes up this kind of life. Together with her bestie and mom friend, Sarah, they share the ins and outs of their lives on their social media platforms, as well as running their own social media agency. And like every other woman out there right now, they know firsthand the stress that this pandemic is causing. So today, April and I are going to be discussing some best practices for keeping stress levels low. Welcome to the show, April. Hi, thanks for having me. So I think the first thing we need to recognize is that many of our old fallbacks in times of stress are no longer an option for us.
3: You know, I used to run to the yoga studio. Yes. I'm, I mean, some of them are open here in Barrie, but uh, not in the same way, which is this whole thing. It's <laughs> so sad.
0: Right. So it's about finding new ways to de-stress and a lot of it is just you have to find you know within your home. So what are some of your top recommendations?
3: Okay. The first one I do is I run. Uh this pandemic so I've been running off and on for years. Uh but this is the first year that I could commit the time to focus on the runs. And so I started with a goal of 5k. I'm over 6k now, which is huge, but like it's amazing how a workout will Clear your brain. So I will deal with uh, a difficult email that comes through, and if I'm starting to feel like my heart racing and all those things that come with anxiety, I go for a run, and then when I come back, I'm able to focus. I'm like, oh, it's actually not as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, there's, so there's working out is huge.
0: There's real science behind uh, what uh, you know, getting your blood flowing and your heart pumping does for the brain and for your mental health. So I think working out of any sort is is key
3: yeah and meditation um i tend to meditate at night uh i'm a bit of an empath so all that energy like sticks to me like velcro so if i meditate at night then i of clear everything and i'm able to sleep well um tons of water like invest in a good water bottle uh this is 50 ounces it's called a swig it keeps it nice and cold i carry that everywhere with me um because I would tend to go to like alcohol or to coffee and coffee makes your heart race even more. It's not helping. Now wine makes you kind of like come down a little bit, but it's also making me very hungry. So there's all these things that and I, I think, I try to, you know, like,
0: pre-pandemic, uh, I have to admit, I was like, oh, I'm the lover of my nightly wine. But I recognized immediately that when this pandemic started, I had to cut that back. And I did significantly because it's a depressant. And we have to remember that, you know, it's easy to um, lose sight of that right
3: now. So you have to control
0: how much alcohol is in your life.
3: A hundred percent. And in early days of this pandemic, I was, I was going between like Anxiety to depression, like so. If you're constantly in that, like you don't want to add something to make it worse, right? So totally. Um, we also uh, unwind. Like I'm, I'm kind of a geek, and I, I admit this now, and people make fun of me, but I will watch a historical documentary on Facebook or on YouTube or Netflix or whatever, and that just like calms me. It's the weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also use New Roots Natural. So I've used the De Stress. Uh, love this, but this one has been a savior. Like I had a really rough week last week, a chill, chill pill. Pills. <laughs> so when nothing else was working, like, honestly, where I was like full of anxiety and whatever, like, you know, when you're hitting roadblocks and all the stuff, that's all frustrating and none of your stuff's working. You grab these. So the chill pill was like, okay, this is good. <laughs> I can do this. Um, and speaking of my week last week, uh, I actually just hung out with a friend. And talked about something other outside of work, and it really brought my my stress level down, which was really good. Yeah,
0: I really want to actually just t- touch on that for a second because in this pandemic, I think the things that we appreciate the most are those conversations that happen that don't surround the pandemic. A normal yes. interaction of how was your day? Uh, tell me something good that happened, uh, or if you need to unload, unload on me. But even how's the weather is refreshing sometimes i find
3: (laughs) anything anything because i mean people are are wrestling with whether to spend send their kids to school it's like since march we've had nothing but crazy decisions or crazy like uh, assumptions or whatever and it's just i just want something to be for real like just like even the weather you can't predict it's just want something to look forward to that's going to be planned (laughs) it's just so hard i know um And then my last thing is, is really about sleep. Um, I think, so I used to, for me, I've had anxiety for the last five years. Um, I had a really horrible work situation that contributed to it uh, where I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. And so now I really make sure that that time before bed is my time. And so New Roots Herbal does make a really good sleep aid. Sarah uses it and she's like, it's the best thing she's ever used. Um, I tend to, I get made fun of for when to bed at nine, but honestly, that's my wind down time. I, I, I'm in bed and I'm meditating and I'm, I throw on a documentary. It's just time where I just de-stress. And so I think that that time for bed is so precious. I, I, I couldn't, I'm, I'm a classic night owl, uh,
0: but you know, I really tried to shift my sleep patterns again, r- recognizing how important sleep is. And one of an interview I did earlier this year, um, with the parenting show, one of the, one of the experts there mentioned that every hour of sleep before midnight, is it worth two after? And that really hit me because, you know, I was staying up really late and getting up really early and, um, and that wasn't serving me. Uh, However, I do have, I have the, you know, new, new roots herbal uh, sent me some product as well. And I have been using the sleep eight because sometimes when I go to bed, I'm still in fight or flight
3: mode and down is hard. It really is. So I tend to to go to bed about an hour or so before I'm ready to sleep. Um, And so now my, my son's almost 11. So he wants, and of course he's not in school right now. So he just wants to stay up late. I'm like, fine, go to your room, but don't bug me for the next little while. Like
0: he knows, he knows. (laughs) Yeah. And, and keeping those distractions out of the bedroom as well. uh, I, you know, I, this summer, I, I mean, I'm not on TikTok. I, I, but I, like everybody else, I was swiping, swiping, swiping through. And I started to recognize I'd be really tired and I'd open TikTok and suddenly I'd be wide awake and unwired. Oh. Um, so, you know, that was for me, I, I had to say, okay, that's no longer allowed in, in the bedroom, uh, or even near me sort of within that hour window before bed. Cause then I'm all wound up thinking oh, I could do that
3: dance. <laughs> it's <laughs> but stimulating, I right? I mean, I watched, uh, I made a mistake because I was watching like a Stevie Nicks documentary on Amazon prime. And I was like, it was like one o'clock. I'm like, why am I still not asleep? It's because I was like into her music and everything. I'm like, no, it's Ken Burns or nothing now before bed. (laughs) It's gotta be that.
0: are Are you sharing
3: your best tips then on this kind of life? yeah actually we uh we're gonna be we just shot a video we're big on video, so we will be sharing that uh, all of our tips um one that I didn't share uh yet was also about eating well um so whenever I start feeling anxiety, I would always go get a junior chicken from McDonald's. no joke. I have not had to have that in so long because I'm just focusing on fresh food and and stuff that's gonna make me feel energized because as a as a working mom and a work from home mom and you know this too um we are running at mock speed. You wake up at six and you go until you're ready to go to bed. So I need the energy to sustain that, that level of work. Um, so
0: yeah, I mean, I think um, the the key thing for women to, to remember is that taking care of yourself is not selfish. It's selfless. You have to look after yourself first. If you're going to look after anybody
3: else. And you know, that's a really good point because um, because as a runner and I work out, um, my family is really supportive of it. They're like, go, go, you got this time, you go run, you know, and they just, they're really supportive of it, which is really good.
0: Okay. And so if people want more
3: information on New Roots Herbal, where are the best places to go for that? Go to Instagram. I love Instagram. So go to at New Roots Herbal, or you can check them out online at newrootsherbal.com.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, April. We'll see you again soon. And thank you. Small Business Women, CSBW, is an organization that provides a place for aspiring Canadian businesswomen to find the necessary resources to take their business from the planning stage to a reality. CSBW provides opportunities to learn and connect through various events for aspiring entrepreneurs and business owners such as seminars, expos, webinars, and e-courses. Joining me now to discuss how they are helping women stay in business during these try ti- trying times is Duane Appeal. Welcome to the show, Duania.
7: Thanks for having
0: me, Candice. So tell me a little bit about how you are adapting to this new environment.
7: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Can we say we were all in the same boat in March when everything just went crashing down. I remember the exact date. It was March 16th when here in Ontario that they declared a state of emergency. And that date, I was still going to the hospital doing radiation treatments and stuff like that. We can talk about that later. But (laughs) in the back of my head, I'm like, Ah, I have an event schedule for May in Niagara in person. And immediately we had to just sit down and start planning. And it was a good transition i have to say we spent a week demoing a lot of platforms and for us we wanted to find something that's going to give the same feel as an in-person event we wanted networking we wanted main stage speakers we wanted breakout sessions we wanted vendors we wanted everything well, at, Why the time, at the time i would have to say you probably
0: didn't anticipate how hard this was going to hit women And so that um, concept of networking, as it turns out, you know, five months later, is now vitally important for women.
7: Exactly. For us, we really do our business based on those relationships that we've built. And we still need to find a way to connect with each other, right? So that's why having these virtual events that really focus on some of the networking components Helped a lot of women.
0: So you have an event actually today that's happening um, And if people can't obviously you know, they're listening to this and they can't attend today uh, Tell me about it and can they access it after?
7: Yeah, so this event is like a dream come true I've always wanted to do an event where we could bring some international speakers into the fold And going virtual made it that much easier. So we're able to bring five amazing female speakers that represent four countries. One's representing Jamaica, one the UK, one Canada, and the one the USA. And then our keynote speaker is Canadian, Julie Black herself. And we also have Obviously, we have vendors and networking. It's a full conference. But yes, people can access this at shop.canadiansmallbusinesswoman.ca right on our website. We will have the replay available. It is going to be an amazing day.
0: Julie Black is wonderful. Uh, I, was, I attended a, an event prior, uh, a couple of years ago where she was the MC. So she's, she's energetic and, out, and outgoing and, and inspiring. So she's going to be wonderful. Uh, tell me about some of the other speakers.
7: So yeah, okay. So we have representing Jamaica. We have Nicole McLaren Campbell. She is the goal accelerator. She's all about setting goals and helping you find ways to achieve them. And I'm very goal like goal oriented. Everything I do. It's all based on goals. So I'm really looking forward to this. Then we have Christy Muhammad Jackson from the USA. She's from Houston and she comes with a long list of accolades, but she's also very well known for her sales funnels. She is very good at using her platform to generate income and she's going to teach us all how to do that. Then we have Annie from Vive Wellness. She's representing Canada, and she's going to talk about health and wellness and how important is that to all of us right now, especially oh, wow. as women. So and important, right? Wearing all the hats that we wear, we do need to talk about our health and wellness. Then we have Kalina Allen representing the UK. She's going to talk about social media strategies because aren't we all trying to build our platforms these days? How can we do it and do it right?
0: Well, everything is, is online. So, I mean, it's crucial that you are getting out there in front of people now in this virtual uh, environment. So if people want to know more um, and sign up and, and and attend, where do they go and how do they do that?
7: So for today you can go to canadiansmallbusinesswomen.ca and you'll see the event banner across the screen. And if you want to watch the replay, you can still find that at canadiansmallbusinesswomen.ca. Just click the shop button at the top and you can watch the replay.
0: And are there social channels people can uh, follow you and learn more about your network on?
7: Of course. We are everywhere as Canadian small business women, except for Twitter. It's Canadian small business women, but a little bit different. CDN, small biz, WMN, but everywhere else, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, everywhere, Canadian small business women.
0: Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm sure this will be a very inspiring conference for uh, women looking to change the game in 2020. Yes, thank you
7: so much for having me, Candace.
2: Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
8: Okay, so you're a rocket scientist. That
0: don't
5: impress me much. Oh so yeah, got the brains but have you got the touch, now don't get
7: me wrong. Yeah,
0: you wrong. Canadians have a lot to be proud of on the world stage in general, but in the early days of the pandemic, a contagion of kindness spread across the country as groups and individuals in all provinces and territories stepped up to help our most vulnerable. Heather Down and Catherine Kenwell quickly got to work gathering the most inspiring stories from coast to coast. To coast in their book, Not Cancelled, Canadian Kindness in the Face of COVID-19. Joining me now to discuss is Heather Down. Welcome to the show, Heather. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. So I really, you know, I, I sort of went back and looked at how quickly Canadians mobilized when this pandemic hit. It was within, I would say, hours, really. We started to see this real grassroots movement to help people. So what Was there a moment where you were inspired to start collecting
8: these stories? Absolutely. I realized there was a social history happening here, and it was important. I thought that we should record it, one. And two, personally, I was going through quite a bit. So I wanted to focus on the positive. I had an aunt in a long-term care home who was diagnosed with COVID-19. I had a cousin who passed. We couldn't have a funeral. So selfishly, I wanted to focus on those great stories I had seen snippets of in social media and on the news. So how did you start collecting these stories then? Well, whenever I heard something, I would write it down and um, I would research. I would find the person. So if there was a quick clip on the news or something went through my social media feed, I would I would hunt down the people so that I could interview them.
0: Now do you have a couple of favorites that you've that you've you know collected in this book? And there are a lot. Um, I love how many you have, but do you have a couple of highlights?
8: Yes, absolutely. And there are 49 stories because we're on the 49th parallel. Um, but uh, my favorite two, I think one's from Newfoundland where a guy went around dressed up as Spider-Man to walk by houses to entertain the kids. But the person that actually wrote it was a mom of a little guy that was very inspired by it, a three-year-old and the, the, um, video that went online went viral. But what I loved about what she said was when her son grew up, she didn't want him to look back at this time in history and say, oh, that was the time when there was stress or economic problems. She wanted his memory to be, that was the time I met Spider-Man. So I thought that was really beautiful. And the second one that I really loved was from the Yukon. There is a gentleman there who does Bangra dancing. He's a Sikh and he lives outside of Whitehorse. And he and his neighbor did a beautiful Twitter um, video, but his neighbor is playing the bagpipes and it's in the wilderness. And in the background, you see the typical Canadian outhouse with the crescent moon on it. And I just thought, you know, it seems at first glance that it's opposites, but truly, it's quintessential Canada. So do you
0: anticipate uh, that you could probably gather another 49 stories uh, as this, we're only five months into this? I mean, how did you, how did you filter out and to, to town to 49? You must've had hundreds and hundreds of, of, uh, submissions. Ha- yes. Yes. Yeah.
8: Yes. We have, we have a lot of extra and we're already working on the second volume for next year. So I'm glad you mentioned that, but, um, Yeah, every day I hear something new and I I jot it down in a little notebook to follow up with later. And um, narrowing it down really was a question of time, too, because we put this out in seven weeks, like we wrote it in seven weeks, it took as long to print as it did to write it, because I thought it was important that we have this out while we were still kind of experiencing lockdown, because I thought it was really important for Canada to have some good news right now
0: yeah and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer in any way, but you know if there's a possibility I think we're all aware there's a possibility we might end up in lockdown yes. again uh, yes. so these kinds of stories are what will get us through that focus on the positive um you know and helping us build that resilience. I believe you you you're a big fan of that
8: Yes, yes, and I absolutely agree i think i mean I, I did it selfishly to be honest, I wanted to focus on the positive. And then it's funny, sometimes when you do something for yourself, it resonates with others even more. The feedback we have is tremendous. One lady was gifted the book who is um, going through cancer treatments and she ended up back in the hospital and all she could think of doing was doing something kind for her roommate because she had just read this book. Um, Her roommate was supposed to graduate, but the graduation was canceled. So she arranged for photos, graduation photos for her friend. And the interesting thing that she said, it was great that her friend received the gift, but what really was important to her was it energized her and actually helped her face her treatments. So that, that was incredibly humbling to hear stories like that coming back
0: it's it's that classic knowledge that it's
8: always better to give than to receive so where can people find this book then so it's at all chapters indigos and Coles across canada and in independence and uh, indigo also has a great online program if you want to order it online Okay.
0: And if people want to connect with you on
8: social, maybe share some stories for volume oh, two, where can that they find would be you? Lovely. <laughs> oh yes. So I'm at winter tickle press on Facebook and on Instagram because Twitter has fewer characters. It's just winter tickle. So.
0: Wonderful. We'll put that up on the video that goes out on social. And thank you so much for joining me today, Heather. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidradio.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 1059 The Region.
2: Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.
1: I'm Andrea Askowitz And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast. But we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.
3: Hi, I'm Steve Yurko.
1: And I'm Tara Sands.
3: Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, For Kids Flashback.